And welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our bi-weekly podcast. My name is Nico Vreke. I'm joined by um, someone you might know if you listen to this more often, Devin Becker, and then two new faces, Sam Barbary and Michael Mike Levine. Um, you know better what we're going to be talking about by the title and the description of this podcast, because as you know, we set a, we set a direction and then we see where we end up. Um, and then if you're watching this on YouTube, um, go ahead and make fun of my mustache. Um, this is with purpose. I'm going to slush and I want to have a beautiful mustache by slush. So I'm, uh, I'm prepping. If you're going to slush as well and you're male or you can grow a mustache, <laughs> then um, grow it and then I'll buy you a beer. There you go. Good. Um, before we dive in, let's do some quick backgrounds. I think that's going to be useful um, if we have new listeners. So um, just a brief background of, of who you are, uh, maybe, you know, what you did in, in previous lives and, and what you're doing today. Devin, you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah, I'll just keep it real short since a lot of people probably have heard this before. But basically, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm doing some stuff with uh, Nami that I co-founded, doing game analytics for Web3 Gaming, doing a lot of writing for Novik, uh, which is actually public now that it's not behind the uh, the Novik Pro paywall. So hopefully you're seeing that in the digest. Uh, and then also run their uh, weekly uh, roundtable podcast. So a lot of uh, writing, talking, and uh, analyzing and consulting. Good. Sam? Hey. I'm Sam Riberry. Uh Right now, I am head of strategy and partnerships at Horizon and Sequence. Uh, been in gaming and interactive media uh, my whole career. I used to run uh, or was part of the founding team of Superdata Research. Uh, so uh, some crossover with Devin's world, uh, business intelligence and consumer insights on we covered everything, digital games, esports, gaming, video content. Uh, got acquired by Nielsen uh, back in 2018, stayed at Nielsen for a while, uh, co-founded a couple of companies, and then fast forward to joining Animoca, where I was running one of their uh, subsidiaries called Quid, uh, and then met the team at Horizon uh, earlier this year, fell in love with everything that they're doing, uh, and I'm very glad to be here. Fantastic. Mike? Me. Um, I'm Mike Levine. Hi. Um, I've been making games. I was just trying to do the math, I guess, over half my life at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started working games in the 90s at it was Lucasfilm Games, and it became LucasArts pretty quickly. Now it's Lucasfilm Games again. Life's weird. Um, and yeah, after having a great run there, um, did a startup with people from ILM for a few years, creating like software, decided that I miss games. And as I moved back to the East Coast, started my own companies and been making our own games and games for uh, big clients like Hasbro and others over the years. And always seem to be uh, riding the bleeding edge of tech because that's what I gravitate towards. So we had a great run for a while doing AR games and then VR games and um, then discovered Web3 and uh, here we are. So maybe just to dig into that a little bit more, what's a like what's a company called you're building Web3 games in and, and what kind of game are you building? Yeah, sure. So the company's called Mystic Moose and the project is called Planet Mojo, which I can get into. And our first game is Mojo Melee, as I'm wearing my hat as a good CEO should with branding. 
Um, and yeah, the game is our first, we're building an ecosystem of interconnected games where people who own the digital collectibles, NFTs, um, can use them in our other games as they come out. So Mojo Melee is an auto chess battler where we, we really love this genre. We had made a game with Phil Tippett back in two, 2017. It was Apple's game of the day where we were experimenting with AR and we sort of watched the genre evolve. And so when we had a chance to make our own, we loved the games, but we sort of put a new spin on them because, like, you know, the best games in the genre, TFT, it's hard to say anything bad about them because we love them. But as a mobile experience, you know, matches can take 30 to 40 minutes. And so we wanted to make something a little more digestible that you could play on the go or but still have that progression in mechanics. And we sort of combined deck building mechanics from TCG games with auto chess to kind of create a new strategy type in the, in these genre. So yeah, happy to talk about it more. Maybe just an observation from my end. I'm, I'm, I've always been extremely impressed with what Marvel snap did to the trading card genre. And just, it, it basically understood that the attention span of, of people, especially on mobile devices has reduced to, sub 10 minute levels and managed to build a game around that. Um, and so I think that general strategy, um, well, they, they pulled it off very well, although still, I think the monetization might be suboptimal. Uh, but, um, is, is that a bit of the, how we should see this? Like, uh, what Marvel snap did to TCGs you're trying to build for the auto battler genre? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a game we've definitely looked at, you know, there's no question about it. And, yeah, I think that's a that's a good analogy. You know, we wanted to make something, you know, our game is cross-platform. You can play it. We're, we're big proponents of web-based games. So that's where we started with. And we're now just bringing it to mobile, actually. it's It's been in beta on Android, and we're this close to bringing it out to iOS, hopefully. So um, we're really excited. And playing it on mobile, I mean, it was, even though, like, all these months, most people have been playing it on the web, but it really was designed as a mobile game. So it's kind of you know, interesting being cross-platform and just seeing the different play patterns because you can definitely play it still for a long time. You're just playing in these more five to 10-minute bite-sized matches. And, you know, we put in battle pass and sort of conventional modern methods, you know, in terms of free-to-play and progression, which a lot of these games actually lack, you know, currently the auto chess game. So we tried to make it more more accessible and what, you know, if you're not like, cause that this genre has some hardcore fans, right. But we wanted to have those people be able to play it. And we've had TFT players all along giving us feedback, but we wanted anyone who's, who picks this up, who'd never even played this genre to be able to get into it. So that was kind of a, our balance and goal we were going for. Amazing. Sounds like there's a, a ton to dig into there. But the goal of this conversation was to focus perhaps on uh, some of the new evolutions um, we've seen within the Web3 gaming space. Um, and so let's, let's, yeah, let's start chatting, chatting about that. Sam, do you want to set the stage um, for you know, the, the rest of our conversation? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my uh, kind of diatribe about, you know, particularly the, the Web3 gaming space has been that, and I think this is true across the history of gaming with every new cycle of, of innovation is that, you know, where people play games, how people design games uh, goes lockstep with the technology 
that's available. Um, and obviously, you know, we can take this back to the earliest digital games, then the earliest mobile games, uh, the earliest free-to-play games. Every step of that was, you know, hey, what are my payment options? Uh, what technology works on what kind of devices? How do I make this most accessible to players? And so we just rinse and repeat that that cycle. And so, you know, if we think of games that launched in Web3 Gaming, let's say in 2021, a lot of them had no choice but to kind of overly lean into being Web3 titles because there was no way to uh, hide that aspect from players. So it's like, hey, my addressable audience is a couple hundred thousand DGENs at best. Therefore, I, I really better go hard on um, speculative assets and a certain kind of, of game design. But obviously now, and you know, of course, I can talk about it from the perspective of of sequence and the tech that we have. But you know, being able to really abstract that away from players, not only in the onboarding, but you know, making sure that Web three tech can go where the best games live, which is, you know, Mike first built a, a browser game, and I'm interested, you know, to hear your thoughts about, you know, how you thought about where to go. Uh, with with mobile, but you know, a lot of Web3 infrastructure was so browser specific. Um, but we know that the biggest games on the planet live on mobile. They live in game engines like Unity and, and Unreal. And if the technology at the time doesn't let you do that, then again, there's a design choice of okay, I'm building for uh, a browser-based game, and there are implications around that. So now, you know, if you open up the Pandora's box of hey, build any game you want, launch it on any platform that you want, obviously like asterisk for what they'll allow in terms of Web3, and we should talk about that too. Um, but do, you know, you're you're only hamstrung by creativity at this point. Um, and I think we're we're on the cusp of, you know, people being able to build absolutely whatever they want in in this space. And that's why... You know, so excited about what Mike is is building, but you know, a lot of the new wave of titles that, hey, they're just going to look and feel like really, really great games. From from what I've seen with this cycle that we go through, like with every new platform and technology, like you're describing, where we like start with like the most rudimentary games and then work our way up to more real time games. Like we saw this with Facebook games, we saw this with mobile games. Like every platform goes through that same cycle of like let's start with super, like low, like transactional kind of games, like turn-based, asymmetrical, and then work our way up towards more real-time. One thing I noticed with the mobile side of things, too, like that relates, I think, to this is sometimes it's also parallel technology happening at the same time that helps enable it, like where it's like uh, the example being uh, one of the problems with mobile games, right, was uh, networking, where basically real-time games were difficult to do because if you were playing on a phone internet connection and it wasn't Wi-Fi, you were dealing with constant problems with intermittent like connection, phone calls disrupting it, things like that, but that as that side technology got better we got all the way up to like 5g and things like that the games can be more real-time and more real-time and more real-time so it's like i guess the question is is there other parallel technology besides just you know the blockchain themselves or the wallets like evolving alongside that we're also kind of like having to sort of wait for uh as it goes forward because we can't like push everything forward as like one big thing I mean, on the browser side, I can talk about that because th there's definitely some themes there you mentioned. And, you know, I think one underlying theme that both of you guys were talking about here is is friction, 
right? And how do we remove friction? And that's one reason we chose browser to begin with is because there's just less friction. One, just for any player, you bang, you're right into a game. There's no download, find the app, that kind of stuff. But WebGL, you know, it's not without its issues. Um, but we, you know, we've heard rumors that uh, WebGL might be getting better soon and advances in that. But beyond that, there's this thing that most people haven't even heard of, I, at least in my conversations, called WebGPU. Um, something that Google is, is heavily behind and Unity as well, and we've spoken to them um, about it. And it's something we're taking a very, very serious look at. Um, you know, people might remember, if you've been around long enough, got gray hair. Um, no, it was only about 10 years ago, like, right? Sites like Newgrounds and, and Congregate and Addicting Games, they had a much more dominant force in gaming, right? And what happened? Mobile phones came out. Free-to-play happened. Steve Jobs killed Flash on, on mobile phones. <laughs> that was, I mean, he did that very intentionally. And that kind of, those sites still exist, by the way. We're actually going live on Congregate today with our game, and we're already on Addicting Games. And they, it's just the model has changed a little bit. But we see a potential shift back to browser games and those platforms being powerful again and having cross-platform games and central code bases. That's like the dream of developers. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot. Tech is always evolving. And as I've been saying a lot lately, like evolve or die, you know, that's, that's very important in this space because what we thought we were going to be a couple years ago is, is, is completely evolved and changed. So just to um sorry Sam so, so just to maybe dig into that a bit more I heard that when so Facebook used a non-native like browser-based approach for a long time and the moment they decided to make the switch they saw their retention and engagement levels skyrocket. And so I guess my my question for you Mike is um in general it feels like there's always been a trend to towards like you know better user experience and like going back is is has never been where where things went and so how does the native mobile experience versus the more browser based mobile experience differ in in your view and is that really a, a trend that you expect to 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 see grow in the future well it's going to grow i think for sure and I definitely don't look at it as a step backwards. It's a step forwards, but we need the tech to evolve. We need it to permeate through all the current browsers. We need Apple to get on board, of course. Um, but today, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, you can't compete. I mean, the a downloadable game or an app, you know, where you're native or, you know, tapping right into it versus like, you know, our game, for example, the browser version, you have to play on the desktop. You're not playing that on a mobile device, right? And so that's why, that's what you see with a lot of these uh, web portal gaming sites, too, is the sort of best games, they're sort of funneling you really to the app. You know, the, the, the websites are kind of feeders, you know. As I was doing research, I was surprised, like, there are some pretty big games that exist on these sites, Subway Surfers, fully cross-platform web version. I was like, wow, okay, but not everybody, you know, but I think there's something still there. Um, and, you know, just like when any new medium 
arises, right? Like the old one doesn't disappear, you know, like people were listening to radio for a long time after <laughs> until Sirius came, right? Or and people still watch TV. And so the app stores are not going to go away. There's, there's no question. But I think when people start to see console PC experiences in their browser that they can just bring up instantly, you know, you think about it, like we have these PCs that have incredible power. And then we end up doing, we still use the browser for everything, but it's it's crippling really what the greater PC can do. So that that to me is going to be a huge step forward, you know, in this space, but it's going to take time and you're still going to see, you know, apps exist for these games, just like you do now. I mean, it's, you want to be on any platform, you know, that is engaging and has users, right? So I think that's that's going to be important. But it, you even see now, look at Google Play, right, with their PC store. I think that's really interesting, you know, how they're, and you see Supercell getting on board there and something we definitely want to be a part of because that's like, it's not browser-based, but it's it's sort of like a, a step towards cross-play and sort of unified, you know, playing with just the same app, essentially, on different platforms. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that, that Google's a big, big part of that, uh, in all of that. The browser, the, the mobile platforms, bringing it to desktop, as opposed to Apple, like, is a huge difference in what you're talking about between those two, because Google is more than happy to push like the new browser tech that runs all that stuff. Uh, they're also the ones that were trying to push instant play gaming sort of stuff through the store. Mm -hmm. So like they're big on this sort of thing because they don't have like the same stake that Apple does. And so I think we might not see that sort of thing like that you're talking about really happen so much on Apple side of things, more so Google and Windows side of things. Mike, I wanted to ask you, you know, one two parts one sort of thoughts around progressive web apps um you know i think uh particularly in in our wacky world like frentech got sort of a lot of attention for uh that kind of solution and you know with our game sky we were you know it's both a native bubble app it also is a progressive web app or browser um so one you know how you've thought about that but two and maybe this is kind of for everyone like i i've always um felt that gamers really have a hard time with like context switching so you know you you take a certain game you put it on a certain device and platform um and it gets pretty ingrained everything from you know the design to obviously the ergonomics of the controls but even around monetization you know hey i am fine spending 70 dollars for a game on playstation but if that were a mobile game Obviously not. It has to be free to play. Um, and so, you know, how does that play into you know, how you think about design and pricing and everything else when you take the same game and you start to go cross-platform, even these subtle differences of cross-platform of like native mobile app versus, you know, mobile browser versus progressive web app? I mean, I think a lot of that is like what I was saying in terms of like legacy stuff remains right because like if you look at kind of the biggest games right now that are cross-platform like Genshin Impact and the 25 clones that it spawned or whatever like those those are free to play cross-platform games right and clearly there's an audience for that and I think like just like we saw in mobile you know I think 
it's just taken longer. But free to play is creeping into the PC world too, and I mean. Uh, it, that I seem, it seems to me that's going to be the model going forward. There's always going to be titles you can pay for and things like that. But like, like you're saying, like you want, it has to be sort of in sync, right. For the player. And like, you can't have this like paid experience here and then like a totally different play pattern. And it, it just gets very complicated. It obviously has been done, but the, the way we look at cross platform is you want to have that same experience. Like when you're on the go, you, you take out your phone, you want to get into a few matches, but you come at home, you know, maybe you want to play it on a big screen on your TV in the future, you know, that kind of stuff. Why not? Like just wherever you are, you should be able to kind of, or what platform you like the best to play on. Right. And have those options. So, yeah, I think, you know, so, and back to why we started here, right? At the beginning, right, it just, it was a lot easier, we felt, for a Web3 game to tap into Web3 aspects in the browser, right? Like MetaMask was kind of the, you had to support MetaMask, right? And so, and, you know, now that we're working with Sequence and it, it, everything really has changed, you know? And so things have gotten much easier to onboard users now and and mobile, which, was just like, oh, forget about mobile and blockchain, you know, and there was Apple and Google. And so, like you said, so much has changed since we've started from the policy side and the tech side that now we can really onboard the masses. That's why we've always been bullish on mobile long term, right? And we're building this cross-platform. We're going to support both, but mobile is kind of, to me at least, the gateway to the masses, right? And we've definitely changed our our like design and, and our philosophy on like how invisible should this be you know like how how much do players need to know about this or and it's something we're constantly debating honestly because it's like if it's i'm probably going way off the rails here but sorry if um if it's completely invisible right which is a great way to onboard failures but it's also like then they, like, they don't even know what's happening. You know, like, there has to be some education. I don't I hate the word education, but there has to be some information, right, at least to, to let players know what's going on. And, you know, the rub is, right, as we release this in the app stores and everything, like, if we don't have Web3 in our game, like, you're just a normal game now, right? Like, you're just you're competing with the thousands of games that come up. So this this was our special thing, right? And for a while, especially in like, let's say, you know, the super dark era there with FTX crash, it's just like everyone was kind of asking themselves like, boy, you know, how much do we want to distance ourselves from this? Gamers, especially in North America, they hate this right now. But we kind of held, you know, we went through that. We held our ground. And honestly, like, we believe in it more than ever now. And it's really like, that's what I've always said, like the next six to 12 months as more and more apps come out and end games, we're going to see different methods of how people present this to players. And, you know, I think, like I said, there has to be some level of upfrontness about it because there are some people who are excited about it, right? And we do get questions all the time, even on, on mobile, like from Web3 players, like, hey, how can I connect this? You know, more advanced than we expected. Like, even with our the deal we did with Amazon and Prime Gaming, like, we're like, okay, these are all going to be like Web2 people. Oh, no. 
you know, e you know, it, even with using sequence and just so easy onboarding, the hardcore people, you know, they're still like, can I get this into my MetaMask? You know, I want and, and that's fine. That's what blockchain is. That's why we like sequence and the compatibility and, you know, EVM nature. So, um, yeah, I'll yeah, stop right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, first, you know, I, I have to jump on like the North America thing just because like, obviously this is a constant refrain for me, but I'm sure you guys feel the same. Like, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know if this is a PG 13 or R rated podcast, but like, it's Go so ahead, fucking exhausting <laughs> to have players pull out literally word for word, the same lines as the early days of free to play. This is a scam. This is a cash grab. And guess what? It was the Asian publishers that innovated first along with some, you know, studios in Western markets that like really figured it out. And then everyone in the West had to play catch up. And all of a sudden it was like, oh man, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks a month on FIFA ultimate team. And then now we come back around and it's like, guess what? FIFA, you know, shuts down every year. You have to start all over and buy the same shit or psionic shuts it's down, you know, secondary skin <laughs> trading or just, you know, like everywhere you look, you have players complaining about something that, you know, my hot take is, Hey, web three solves this from a, a couple angles, right? It, like there, there are, you know, tech and server implications, there are legal implications, like money transmitter licenses. There are just all these things that, you know, publishers don't have to, you know, don't want to have to worry about um, that the blockchain can help with. But I think to your point about, you know, uh, let's call it education, but, you know, I, I think, again, we're at the point where you can abstract everything away. So the danger is how do I make sure that I haven't just built a web two game, even though you can, but you know, what's the thing that's going to be uh, the novel game design on top of that. And one of the things in terms of like cross platform gaming that I think has been underutilized and I'll just like lob this out there, but is, you know, kind of like secondary, like game adjacent experiences. So like, you know, I'm battling on on browser or on console or whatever it is. Uh, but when I'm on the subway, you know, I'm actually kind of engaging in more like a collectible card game. Like I'm, you know, managing my rankings and my assets. And again, I think, you know, the blockchain is interesting for that because it lets me engage in a, you know, entirely different kind of game meta um, that is maybe secondary to, you know, how I would play on another platform. And Mike's gone. <laughs> well, one thing that, they, that you guys kind of were, it, one technology, I guess, you guys have been dancing around a lot of the conversation that I think is, is worth addressing is, is money and payment systems because they're different across all the platforms and they factor hugely into this stuff working. So, like, obviously, like blockchain, money works very differently. Mobile, money works pretty differently. Desktop or even web browser, like, you go to buy something on the web browser and it, if it's not through Web3, then you're using PayPal. And so, like, an example experience, I was playing uh, Marvel Snap on, you know, I played on my phone all the time. And I, I like to play it on my desktop now, too, because the Steam version got pretty good. But I went to go buy something the other day, and I was, like, on the Steam version, and it just felt weird. It felt weird using their payment rails, and it was, like, four steps instead of, like, one to buy. And I felt like, should I even buy this on here? Because now I'm not going to get the Google Play points that I can use to get discounts in the future. Like, I'm wasting my money right now by buying it on here. And having to go through this process, even though the other day they were actually both using PayPal, at, like 
as the actual processor, it's just different. And it's like you, you go to the browser and you go through MetaMask and then like trying to get like US dollars into crypto, like which can't ever really actually happen. Like it's sort of just like mirroring at best with like stable coins. And so like all these payment systems are a huge part of this technology and why it works. But then like even the differentiation between mobile and desktop, like Diablo is a great example where it's like you have Diablo people treat money and buying things differently. You say, oh, you can't charge, you know, a premium for a mobile game, but also the flip side where like they try and do like live service stuff on Diablo 4. People are like, this isn't Diablo Immortal. You can't do that. But on Diablo Immortal, it's fine. And it's, it's this like the mentalities you're talking about, the context switching, like it all like revolves around a lot of this payment processing stuff. And that's one of the big things that blockchain brings is supposedly new payment processing technology, but it's all very like still, like we're, we're, you know, talking about the topic of technology, trying to catch up and make things more smooth. And obviously like, you know, it's one of the things you guys are trying to address, Sam, but it's still a little bit problematic. And that was a big innovation Apple made where their payment processing was really smooth. And that's why they felt justified in charging 30% of that, right? Because they're like, hey, we made it super easy. Therefore, now we deserve some of this money. Obviously, blockchain stuff tries to do some of that with like royalties and other stuff. But it's it seems like this is a, a big topic that's still like going to be a thing for a while because money revolves around a lot of the stuff, especially when it's, you know, scams and crypto. So something that Mike said that I, I just want to reiterate because I, I fundamentally agree. I, I've been on a large number of panels where all of the other panelists were just agreeing with each other that we need to build games. We need to stop talking about Web3 games. We need to make sure to hide the blockchain. And then what I'm always thinking is, okay, but then why are you building a blockchain game? If no one knows, right? Like why we're doing this, it's like there's, there's, it, this is not a, like an easy technology to use, right? We're, we're all agreeing on this. Obviously, that's, that's what Sam's working on soon. Fully frictionless, obviously. Uh, give it a couple of, uh, of months and, or years. But, um, but yeah, so fully agree with you, Mike. I think, um, and I'm, 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 I'm as excited as you are to see how different teams will present, because I think that's a, a good word to use like present the benefits of these technologies to their players and then obviously how they will react because that obviously remains a, a big question mark, uh, especially when we talk about the, the, the non-degens in the world. No, totally. And I was thinking a couple things when, when Sam was talking there too about, you know, first of all, like, and yeah, that I just was in pocket gamer talking about this because they're asking, do we need to educate players? And, like I said, the the analogies of free to play here are just is like endless. It's just it's literally like the playbook. And so, one thing you know, the way we look at it in our game and the way we put it in Mojo Melee in the play pattern is treat it as a sort of reward moment for the player. Right? It's not like oh, when you come in and you sign up. No, it has to like a that sort of endorphin you know moments when they're excited and. Like, this is a reward, right? Like, you've earned this. And that's how we treat it in the game, right? And so whether they've sort of purchased the premium battle pass or bought this as an in-app purchase, that's how we do it. We sell them to them first as off-chain items. And then they play with it to unlock the potential, you know, that if they want to turn it into a digital collectible. And, you know, we were just on a design call yesterday talking about this for the mobile version and, it's just so like, how do you word that right to a, you know, our mentality is like, we're presenting this to a web two player that knows nothing about this. Right. And, and how much do you mention blockchain? You know, 
we have a little thing we have in there now, like benefits, but it's very high level, right? Like ownership and being able to play in our other games with this asset and things like that. But it's um, as we unveil, you know, minting in the game, which a lot of the Web3 people have been waiting for and it's about to happen. Um, this is going to get more and more complex. <laughs> we know that. And um, yeah, we're also about to unveil this moddable mojos um, system that we've been working on, which is an avatar system where now the mojos can be dressed up and just have infinite costumes and looks. And a lot of the separate items are going to be NFTs too, the hats, the t-shirts and whatnot. And so how, cause we, we want to, we don't want to restrict the web two players, right. From playing with all this stuff too. So you get it in the game and, and, when does it become an NFT, right? Is it always an NFT? What if you put a hat onto an NFT character, but then you take it off and put it on a non-NFT character that you're still working? You know, it it gets very complicated. And so we're just trying to think through, you know, every angle as best we can. You bring up a good point, though, that you should be able to explain the benefits without saying blockchain or NFT. You should be able to just explain, like, you could trade it in a marketplace or you could take it over to another game. Like, there's no reason you should have to use those words to explain what the benefits are or you're just playing off those words to make money at that point, kind of. No, really. And if you think about that's how I always think about it to the user. They don't and you think about the history of technology, like people don't care what the technology is. It's what does it do for me? People are selfish, right? They just want to. How is this going to benefit me? Right. And and if we can't answer that without saying decentralization and blockchain and DAOs, we're done. You know, like so that's why we've got to kind of, you know, and, and even, you know, I think a lot of people in this space, ourselves included, for a while, we're just hanging our hats on asset ownership. And that's a tough one, honestly, I think, to sell the web to gamers. You have to explain what that means. And when when I've had conversations, and I'm sure you guys had too, with any Web two, I hate calling them Web 2 gamers, gamers, right? And I explained to them, you know, like, oh, whatever, this weapon you've got in this game, you know, you could own it and then sell it. Then their eyes, you know, light up. And and so that's where there just has to be some inf informative, inf you know, discussions with players. So to at least ones who are interested, right? And the other thing that happened in free-to-play too, right, was that a new generation of gamers came in. And it started to become the norm to them. And, you know, this this is what happens over time. You know, us old guys don't realize it, but there's always new kids coming up. And I think as this starts to become the norm to them, right, and they're starting to, like, just accept it, not like, oh, why isn't it like this? No, I own my assets. I should, right? Like, why, why shouldn't I? Um, over time, I think we're going to see that just start to become more accepted. I think what, you know, because I, I talk about this a lot with developers and, you know, is this idea of like, uh, when Web3 started, we, we all sort of forgot about like normal gamer segmentation, you know, in the sense that a hundred percent of your players don't need to have crypto or a hundred percent of your players. I mean, you know, you think about free to play a hundred percent of your players aren't going to be making purchases, it's going to be more like, you know, 2% or, you know, 6% if you're lucky. And the benefits of Web3 
I think fall into a similar category where, you know, and because we already see this in free to play, whether it's like CSGO or uh, Rocket League, or whatever, you have a subset of players who are like, holy shit, it's so awesome that I can trade this stuff. Everyone else is just like, I'm accumulating it. I don't even think about it. But you've got that handful of people that say, hey, I bought it for 10 bucks. I can sell it for three bucks. Cool. Now I have, you know, $13 in my in my piggy bank uh, for for next month. And that's where you just get into, you know, how this extends LTV and conversion, ARPU and, and everything else. Um, but I think it's also okay again, going back to like what's been possible with technology, I think it's also okay right now for developers to say, hey, everything's abstracted away. Players, obviously players are going to suss it out no matter what. Like you can't hide anything from gamers, but, you know, they don't yet need to know why this is on chain because guess what? That actually is, you know, a feature that we're rolling out in a year for elder players who are going to be looking for, you know, the next thing. And now there's this secondary market meta, or now there's interoperability with another, with another game. Um, and so I think, you know, ownership is like this thing that, that we've focused on, but, you know, I think players also realize like, Hey, you could shut down the game. And then I just like own the shit that, you know, is useless, uh, until someone breathes new utility into it. Um, so I think, you know, we're still trying to suss out like, like what are, and Mike's gone, what are the things that, you know, people are going to really latch onto, but I think that's just, that's the game design choice. You know, that's just like, Hey, in this instant, here's something cool that I think you should do. Um, and I was like talking to Michael Chow, earlier this week at, at Believer. And, and, you know, he's, he's so smart in the way he thinks about like technology and what it lets people do. And, you know, his sentiment was this always starts with how do I do something faster, easier? And then the next step of that, and the one that, you know, the one that really is the only one that matters is how do I make a game more fun with this technology? And, you know, I think we're, we're just starting to get to the point where we can really say, all right, now design is focused on what's the net new experience that Web3 can drive, but still have it be seamless. So you guys know I'm a big fan of, of bold and hot takes. And so one, one hot take that I have, just kind of half-baked, is I truly believe that the majority, the vast majority of gamers don't care at all about real ownership. And so I think that we're not going to be able to convince them to get excited about Web3 games by telling them, oh, it's decentralized and you can pull it out of the game because these people don't care. And it's to me, it's a similar experience. Like I've been in crypto for a while now. I, I was in crypto before Ethereum became popular and it was all still about like owning your own money, right, with Bitcoin. And, you know, in the West, people don't realize what it is to like not own your own money truly and to be able to get... You know, blocked by a bank of doing transactions like everything just works and so we don't really understand the need for this but then if you go to like countries in, in africa and south america it's a whole different story people really realize the value of these things and so the problem that we've had is that you know gamers haven't really felt the need of, of real ownership because everything kind of always has been smooth and and so yeah my 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 bold take which might might not be really bold because i see you all not so maybe you're, you're all in agreement that gamers don't really really think real ownership is that important and so to me my speculation is that we will need to see other benefits presented to the gamers to get them really excited um 
curious what those will be, and I'm uh, I'm um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to learn. I don't disagree with you. I mean, it, it, you could definitely take the mentality that the ownership thing is sort of a, a solution looking for a problem, right? Because you have so many gamers playing these games. Who's complaining? You know, that these are on centralized servers and Blizzard is in control of my ass. It's like there's no outrage in the streets. But I think I think that is going to become sort of just important and accepted over time because I, I think there is sort of just that. Like, at least for me, when I had this epiphany about this space and it's sort of like, you know, thinking back to that a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, wait a minute, like the next generation of gamers is going to grow up realizing that, you know, they sort of, we, we were had, right. Like we just rented all this stuff, you know, and there's this, like, it just feels like it's the natural evolution. Right. And, and I think sometimes like in society, right. You see these powerful ideas. They just sometimes take a little bit of time to seep in, you know, like, and so I think certain things, at least where I am, I feel like it's inevitable um, as, you know, I think there was a stat I read a couple weeks ago, like over 75% of like big game companies are now making Web3 games. And I, I think as like the games start to, the bigger games come out that are using it and it's happening, right? Like Summoner's War and other games are putting this in. It's just very subtle. And um players are going to start to understand that part that it is that they at least have a fundamental right, right. To own their assets and they should have that choice. Um, does owning these assets have to do more? Of course it does. Yeah. And that's where all the other sort of the fun stuff comes in and, and sort of owning them, being not only to, to play in other games, but have, sort of like what we've done even in the Web3 space. Hey, if you own this NFT, come into our game, we'll read it, you get an extra perk. It's like great for cross promotions. But really on the transaction layer, I think that's where it's the most powerful, you know, in, in commerce, um, as the marketplaces and games emerge that, you know, there's you think about a game like magic right magic the gathering like a physical game where the, the cards weren't really worth anything at the beginning but as the game becomes more popular right like then people look back and, and they go, wow wow if you can find this one card i think that's just has to have games that break out here that people want to play and it's just it's taking time you know it takes time to make games there are some great games coming but you know there's always going to be, there are still hurdles here, right? And that, that's, you know, some of these games I look at in this space, which are some of my favorite games, big AAA games, I still wonder how are you going to get these to the masses, right? Because Steam dominates that space for the most part. And what you're seeing is, like we were just talking about, is Web3 games kind of taking out all the Web3 just to get on Steam, right? To To bring in part of that audience. And and then hope to maybe move them over. So uh, there's still hurdles here. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think there's, <laughs> we have to show players what the benefits are and it has to be clear. I, I don't think everyone's gonna, you know, recognize it immediately. I think it's going to take time. I think right now that the idea of 
asset ownership being pretty much defined by resellability is just kind of bullshit. It's not really ownership. And and I want to kind of use the example, like one of the examples you gave, like a Magic the Gathering, right? So like there's card games, right? Like so when you buy physical board games, right? You don't when when the game shuts down, you don't have to mail those back to the company. And like there's a lot of times when you think, oh well, that doesn't mean anything. And I think uh, I've seen a trend over the last maybe five or so years at least where trading card games, when they get shut down, traditionally that was it. They were dead, like, right? Because the company's not supporting them anymore. That's just it. Like, you just, uh, they're in a closet now. Maybe I could sell them to a collector later who's, like, just looking for nostalgia. That's not the norm anymore. The norm now is people make their own cards. They'll continue it. Android Netrunner has, like, this whole second life. I saw the Transformers card game that, like, barely even got a life from Hasbro, like, get a second life. There's a whole division of people out in the Bay Area just making new cards, running tournaments, creating whole sets that's closer to true ownership where you could go i don't care that you shut down the game it's not shut down for me because i still have the pieces i could still extend it i could still technically they could do that right now but no one's really doing that with nfts and licensing not being attached to it we get like the f1 delta time kind of scenarios those kind of situations if if ownership isn't more meaningful than just a receipt that's on a blockchain then it's bullshit. That's where we need to go. We just need to step that up. Otherwise, you're not going to convince anyone it's it's a benefit to them if there's like, well, I could sell it to someone else for less than I paid for it. So? Yeah. I mean, there was that Project Loot. I'm not sure the current state of it. You remember that? And I thought that was a really... probably Yeah, I think it was like ahead of its time in many ways. And maybe it didn't do it quite right. But there's something there, like in terms of like giving players the pieces... And then letting the community make the experiences and the games out of it. That's kind of like a little bit like the NFT version of what you're talking about, right? Where they were sort of given, I mean, in that case, it was just words, right? But we, but then you saw like the, the graphics and things. I just haven't checked in on it recently. I don't know what happened to it. But um, yeah, one of the many projects of that era that was like, what? I remember when I first saw it, I was like, okay, I give up. You know, here we are trying to make this most beautiful, gorgeous art we can and 3D characters. And then, oh, we just needed to print a bunch of words. Okay. Mike, if you want to get updated on loot, you just listen to our previous episode that aired two weeks oh, ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, we are on top of that. I will. I will. I can okay. assure you. Good. I think, awesome. Devin, what you were just talking about, though, um, you know, is also something that I think has been a little bit of a, a challenge in this space because you know you're you're describing uh, the natural evolution of gamers gaming as in like hey this was sort of the initial attention of these games and items um, but now we're taking it in in a new direction which always happens right like I'm going to strap C4 to my you know ATV and launch myself to the other side of the map like there, there's always sort of that you know, that that hack or that extra thing that players figure out. I think part of the problem with Web3 is, um, you know, some developers have tried to, like, uh, initiate that way too early and as, like, a top-down thing. Like, hey, by the way, community, you should be doing all these things. And players are like, I, I don't want to do that. That's not interesting. And so, you know, not only is it a distraction from, like, the primary gameplay, but it's just this, like, force-fed, thing that no one gets and so again coming back around where it's like hey because you don't have to you know 
only onboard 5,000 people because it's so hard to do and, you know, everything else that comes with, you know, the old school friction of Web3, like now that you can throw that out the window and say, come one, come all, I think it does shift the opportunity for developers back to that core gameplay, then pushing the envelope with, okay, what's the net new experience that Web3 unlocks? And then expecting or anticipating or being okay with the fact that players are going to figure out something else to do with this. Um, you know, whether that's maybe something not great, like an arbitrage opportunity um, or something a little bit more productive and interesting that could happen like two, five years down the line. But I think we need to go back to kind of taking a breather and being like, Hey, I need to focus on this and gamers going to game. They're going to figure out what to do with it. We're supposed to be living in this age of like moving into UGC and that's everything all of a sudden now. And, and I, I like giving you like a good kind of hybrid sort of digital physical example, which is like Skylanders or Disney Infinity, where it was like these physical things that were like essentially like a physical NFT. They were NFC, but it was they would unlock a digital asset by having physical possession of it in a similar kind of idea. Right. But eventually those games stopped. Right. Especially Disney Infinity. Right. Where they just like shut it down. You could still kind of get like this sort of like really botched collection version but it's basically done you can't take those and be like cool i can and i could go to like discount stores and find those and like buy them cheap but it's like i can't i could play like the old console game experiences with them but it's not truly unlocked for me it's not really this asset that i could take elsewhere and i was like those are like a perfect example of what should be like the way we think about it is i've got a thing that's a toy as well that i could do whatever i want with uh in something else uh and if we're living in this age of ugc and sandboxes and stuff why can't i just take my nft into roblox why can't i take it into fortnite creative like these opportunities where it's like there's already gamers wanting to do these creative things that you're talking about like there's there's a there's obviously not the main audience right but there's an audience that wants to push this stuff forward but we're not really like unlocking that it always has to be these big negotiations and like licensing deals and obviously ip is a huge blocker for this stuff but it's like you see people like yuga labs uh trying to like attach ownership rights to things like that we can do this like Obviously, legal is a little tricky, but I think there's opportunity we've seen for this stuff. And also we've seen where it's just not like been squandered. And obviously, well, you know, TCGs are a hard space to do that with. Right. But like physical toys or miniatures or things like that are much easier. And I, I've seen like the rise of like miniature agnostic games, too, where people are like, hey, you, you don't you're tired of playing Warhammer. You, you could actually play all these other games with your Warhammer figures. And because it's like just rules. Like they're they're not going to get sued by Games Workshop because they can kind of like not say the actual names, but it's still like this. That's where we should be going, I think, with NFTs if we want to say like you actually own them. Well, and I think the you know you, you just hit on something that is again I think the net new experience that no one's really tapped into yet, which is how do let's say the original IP owners of any licensed content. Um, make this worthwhile for them beyond just the initial minimum guarantee and, and royalties. royalties and so on. And so like what you just said, you know, okay, Disney infinity, and you've got this stuff like Disney's lost track of you. They have no idea, you know, what, what Devin loves, why he loves it. Um, and so, you know, they're not in a position to say like, Hey, bring that figure to, you know, the park and we're going to give you 10% off a day pass or something like that. But you can do that with web three and they can do it, you know, separate from needing to coordinate with, you know, 
Fortnite and say, hey, I need to serve an ad in Fortnite to anyone who's bought a Star Wars skin because now, you know, we're going to give them some kind of benefit. Um, you just have, you know, they have access to audiences in a way that they haven't done before. And I think that's like also a huge opportunity for, for games, particularly games that are working with licensed IP, because suddenly, you know, you know that you might be part of this like infinitely expanding utility ecosystem that you don't necessarily have to manage, but you can be the beneficiary of. Um, and we're, we're not there yet, but I think we're getting to the point where companies are going to understand that. And that I think is going to be the thing where gamers are like, Oh shit, this is cool. You know, th this is an extra experience that I, I didn't think was possible and it'll just be easy. They just show up with their backpack and everything is taken care of. I, like I mean, the thing about inter oh, sorry, I was going to say the thing about interoperability, like everyone, when everyone talks about it, I think they have this utopian vision. I do too, of like, oh, I'm just going to take my character and bring it into every game. And when you talk to engineers and people who make games, you know, you start to see veins pop in their head because that's not easy. But like a while ago, we realized like there's a much easier way to do interoperability. I mentioned it earlier, and it's sort of just like treating nfts almost like a like a ticket or, or, or a pass for people right it's like what, what blockchain is is this central operating system right for everybody that everyone can tap into and use versus like oh we're just on you know the the xbox store and, and doing it there right like this is any game that's utilizing this we can say hey phantom galaxies okay for your holders you know, if they come into our game, we'll read that, right? Just because it's that central or decentralized technology and, uh, and and have a benefit, unlock something like you're talking about. Or or if you have a, a Superman character in another game and there's a deal worked out, you come into our game, well, now you have that, you know, like a cape or whatever on our character. Something, those things I see happening in the shorter term than utopian interoperability, which... Hopefully, I'll live to see. Well, yeah, we don't need Utopian for it to at least be a benefit, right? If, if yeah. we've right, got a receipt, right, exactly. licensing to that receipt. Yeah, it's just I mean, we've access. seen Board Ape do this kind of stuff with other projects, and, and um, Digi Daigaku, they were doing it a little bit at the beginning. I, I, I you know, we, we want to do more of that stuff. I agree, full heartedly agree. With this, um, we've come to the end of the episode. You guys just kept on talking. I couldn't stop you because you were so excited. Um, obviously, me too. So I uh, really appreciate that. Devin, Simon, Mike, thank you so much for joining. This was a really good conversation. Um, I've been We've been going very deep on the blockchain. been talking about loot and on-chain games and stuff. And so it's good to bring it back and talk about, you know, millions of players instead of hundreds of players. Um, so I uh, appreciate you coming on. And... Um, yeah, hope we can do, do this again sometime. And listener, thank you if you made it till here, if you did uh, and, and you liked it, let us know. Follow these people. They say smart things. And we hope to speak with you in the next episode. Ciao.